Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed content on this podcast, it's important that I tell you about the Leading Saints newsletter that we send out every week. This newsletter keeps you up to date on all the current Leading Saints content releases, including podcasts, articles, online events, and even live events that might be happening in your own area. In this newsletter, we also recommend some past episodes and written articles that you don't want to miss. Each week, we include additional leadership perspectives and thoughts that you can only find in the weekly newsletter, so you definitely don't want to miss out. To subscribe to the weekly newsletter, simply text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash subscribe so you don't miss any future Leading Saints content. Hey everyone, this is Kurt Frankum with Leading Saints. This is another How I Lead episode, and uh, you may hear some noises behind me. That's because little Mariah of one year old is here in my office with me, and so she's going to help me out, cheer me on getting through this introduction. Now, this, like I said, is a How I Lead interview, and it's going to be a little bit different because I recently had the opportunity to connect with the good people who produced the film Once I Was Engaged. Now, we want to help promote really good content that's funny, uplifting, that we would hope that more people check out because as, as we promote good content, more positive, good content comes from it. And, uh, so I had the opportunity to see a screening of this film a little bit early and I loved it. It's just a fun comedy related to our faith community all around the concept of, uh, being engaged in the things we do as a Latter-day Saint culture. And it was, was a lot of fun. And uh, obviously I want to promote it here on leading saints, but I don't want to make it just a pure promotion. So I invited the director, McLean Nelson, onto the podcast, along with Ken Craig, who plays the bishop in this film, Once I Was Engaged. And Ken Craig has actually been a bishop in real life as well. And so we took both of these individuals and did a How I Lead episode with them. Obviously, directing and producing a film takes some leadership principles. And so McLean and I talked about these uh, principles that he's found most helpful in, you know, motivating a group and getting a group to come together to work towards a specific goal. And then we talked with Ken Craig about his experience being a bishop in real life and some of the leadership principles that stood out there. Obviously, we hope you go see this film. I'm pushing this out without music or uh, much editing as quickly as possible because this week it is july 21st at the recording of this and uh, this is the the focus week for them the more they can get people out to the theaters to see this week the better their distribution does the more likely they are to be able to create more good films like this and so go see it it's great i loved it you'll love it and there's some leadership humor all throughout it and so go check it out so first we're going to hear from mclean nelson the director talk about his how, how he leads as a director and then we'll talk with king craig about his experience as a bishop so here we go hey everyone this is kurt franklin with leading saints and today i'm connecting with mclean nelson how are you mclean I'm doing great. Good to be here, Kurt. Yeah, we actually were in person together last night at the world premiere of Once I Was Engaged, a fun film that you had the opportunity to... Let's see, what's your credits on? You're the director, writer, what else? Writer and uh, producer. Producer. Nice. Yes. And it is a sequel film to Once I Was a Beehive, which... 
gets a, a weekly premiere at my home every Sunday <laughs> as my nine-year-old wants to watch something. We say, hey, pull up Living Scriptures. She knows exactly what to do. And uh, and I think, is it on Netflix or it's Amazon? It's on Amazon or? Prime. It was on Netflix for a few years, but now it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. So if you have access to any of those, really just a fun film. And I don't think I've ever sat, I never sat down and watched that one from beginning to end, but I've seen it multiple times in chunks just from my daughter watching it. And uh, so when we had the opportunity to go to the premiere of once I was engaged, I told my daughter and that the actors would be there. And I mean, she, she acted as, as I would act if I was going to go meet like Hugh Jackman or something, she was just (laughs) so excited to go. And we love the film. Like, seriously, like it's, you know, we, we want to promote good media and things, but like, this is just a good film. Like how does it feel to be at the end of, of, of this? I mean, at least of the production. It feels really, really great. We try so hard to make movies that are just entertaining at the bottom, you know, like we, we, uh, you know, like sometimes you feel as a member of the church, like sometimes you feel like guilted or pressured to go support something just because, uh, you know, a member of your faith made it, but we want it, we want it to be just because it's such a good movie that people want to talk about it. That was, you know, when we made the Saratov approach, that was the same goal. Like, let's make this something that everybody will like when we made once it was a beehive and now once I was engaged. So it's, it's very much a huge relief to be sitting back and listening to that audience roar and hearing people giving it a standing ovation and telling you people telling us like how much they loved it and they're going to spread it and then seeing the things pop up on social media. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's really, really rewarding. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate so many of your films, especially, you know, going back to once I was a beehive where, you know, it, it tells a story of a, a non Latter-day Saint girl. And so naturally you'd think you'd want to sort of orchestrate this story where everything ends up and everybody's baptized and happy and everybody loves Jesus at the end, roll the credits. Right. But it's a real story. And in real life, like there's still positive things that can come out of the story without it, every bow being tied perfectly at the end. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's, like I said, that mimics real life a little bit better. You know, most of the time, um, you know, when we interact with others, you know, there's, there's a good exchange, but we, we, you know, the whole theme of once it was a beehive was the fact that we don't have the corner on the market of happiness and we don't have, we have things to be taught by others. We don't have everything to teach, nothing to learn. We have, we have things to learn from other cultures and communities. And, and um, so, so yeah, that's, that was kind of the goal on that to really, to really uh, take a look at um, how, how we can be when somebody comes into our life, how they can, if you really have friendship as the key, how they can bless your life and vice versa. Um, yeah. But yeah, I appreciate you, uh, uh, you know, pointing that out. Cause that was a definitely a goal of, of mine as a filmmaker and of cool. the whole team. Well, I definitely want to encourage people to see it because it really is good. I mean, there were several belly laugh moments for me during the film and, uh, but obviously this leading saints, we, we always love to explore leadership thought and thinking and obviously, um, running, you know, directing a film and, and producing a film. There's a lot of leadership goes there, but I want to touch on some of the more comedic points of leadership within the film, because there's this Chesterfield family, this, this yes. older couple, they live in Hawaii. They have this like 
I mean, I'm sure that home is multi millions of dollars. Right. And it's yes. a beautiful home. They show their, their kids, like all their, I think they're referred to their stripling warriors, you know, they, they just have this ideal family. And there's this moment. I think I'm the only one that really laughed at this, but it was meant comedic where these two couples are sitting at a table with one of the couples being the Chesterfields. And it comes up naturally that, Oh, all this, these trinkets they have came from, was it Japan or something where they served their uh, look? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Japan. Right. So, and, and they're like, Oh, where did you get this? And then they, it came up that, Oh, we were, we were mission presidents in Japan. Right. And the, the other lady looks at him and says, well, of course you were. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just love that. Like, like they just fit. And we've all, I think we've all interacted with those people in our life was like, well, of course you're the stake president. Like, look at you, like the way you comb your hair and the way you live your life. Like, and again, it's not, you know, not to put down these, these people for just being exceptional, but yeah. I just thought it was funny. What, what was your thinking about writing the Chesterfields and creating that, that those characters? So I, um, Carrie Carrington from the first movie uh, played by Lisa Valentine Clark. She's such a force. She knows what she wants. She plans everything to a T. She has an idea and an agenda of everything, you know, everything going perfectly to plan. I wanted the parents of the, of the groom. I wanted them to have like her to have a status that challenges Carrie because Carrie's already up here. So I wanted to create a character that was like, (laughs) <laughs> someone that she would kind of cower to a little bit because everybody else kind of, they don't cower. They love her, but they kind of like, okay, yes, yeah. they, they yield to Carrie Carrington. I wanted somebody that she would kind of feel like, Oh boy, like you're the step above what I, you know, think I am. And, and I know that like, and, and I wanted to make sure that they didn't just come across the Chesterfields come across as just too stereotypical, like yeah, kind of, general authority to be type characters. I wanted them to feel real, but I wanted to see also, you know, they have a couple of cracks in, you know, some things that they overlook, maybe some pride that they, they're not realizing they're that's prideful. Like he says, welcome to our little beach pad. And it's this huge mansion. And he just, you know, so just little subtleties where I think it might help. I don't know. I just, I like kind of pointing a mirror at us as a culture and the good and the bad and maybe just starting conversations about like how certain things may look or feel when we say them or hear them. Cause, and, but doing it in a loving, caring way. And, and, uh, Pam Eichner and Tim Throwfall played those, those, um, you know, mission president esque you know, kind of like the couple's goals, family to a T, but also kind of showed like, they're not perfect people, but they were really trying hard and their heart was in the right place. So you got to love your characters, even when you're kind of poking fun at them. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, obviously the, the King Craig plays the Bishop. He was in the, the first film as well, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He is. He, he like, he looks like he was made in a lab to be a Bishop. You know, he, <laughs> he's got that look and he's just so kind and nice. If you know him in person, as you do, he's, yeah, yeah, there, there wasn't much acting going on for him. He yeah. just sort of showed yeah. up and it was himself. Right. And, and I hope to interview him uh, following this, but uh, as a, just talk about his time as a Bishop and whatnot, but uh, any thoughts as far as like casting a Bishop, do you just look like look for the guy that is the Bishop or any, as you were directing him, was, was there really any thought behind that or. I wanted when I cast him, I, I really looking for someone who had like, the salt and pepper look of a guy in his like 
late forties to, you know, maybe almost 50. But so I wanted him to have some kind of gravity to his look, but I also wanted him to be young enough to kind of represent that, you know, a lot of, you know, it's kind of strange when I turned 40, it's like now my friends are becoming Bishop. My friend, Jeff Dickamore, who, you know, was played Alma in the book of Mormon movies. He was, he lives in LA and, and he was my Bishop for the last three years, which is so strange because he's like yeah. younger than me. So I, I kind of wanted to have him feel like kind of that in between age and kind of like look, look like every Bishop, you know what I mean? Like the, the, like the poster child for what a Bishop, you know, what you imagine. And when he walked in the door, when we auditioned, I was just like, please let him have a great read because he looks <laughs> so perfect. And then he nailed the read and was just like, you know, just so kind. And he just, you know, like he, he has no, he's just a humble, kind, just, salt of the earth type guy. And he, he, that just definitely comes across. So. Yeah, for sure. So I, I want to just explore maybe the, the leadership that you had to step into directing filming. Obviously you've done a few of them at this point, but, uh, and maybe to some, it'll seem like a stretch to, to church leadership, but really, I mean, you got a group of people you're trying to orchestrate, you're trying to organize, you're trying to motivate to do certain things. I'm just curious to see if we can pinpoint, uh, two or three principles that, uh, come to the surface as you step into that director role. Like if yeah. you're talking to a, another brand new director and, or even, you know, maybe an elders quorum president or least site president who's trying to get a group of people to yeah. move towards a, a goal. Uh, where would you begin with uh, your advice there? I would say that any good leader has to be a good collaborator. And that doesn't mean just like lip service of just listening to what somebody, you know, their input, but really digesting, you know, any, anything, even if you have a plan for the way that something should go in as a leader, if you can't listen to the, you know, the people that are your counselors or the, the people that are around you and you can't really actually integrate their input to what you have, you you're really shutting down a huge amount of creativity and a huge, huge amount of just for lack of a better word, synergy to make whatever you're doing so much better than you could on your own. I mean, these actors working with, with Lisa Clark and with Haley Smith and Barta Heiner and, you know, Claire and Tanner, they're all, all of their combined experience of, of storytelling and just life experience, you know, when you're, when you're sending a script out, I take every one of their notes so to heart and I really filter it through kind of what my overall vision is. And if I think it strengthens it, I completely add it in and I completely integrate it. And sometimes they're great ideas, but they don't necessarily go with my overall vision. And so I, you know, and it helps me too to be able to articulate that because that's just, even when, when, if I turn an idea down, even I can articulate why it strengthens my vision overall. And it, it really just kind of laser focuses where we're going with the script and the story. So, you know, to have such amazing people and, and like, I, you know, I, I did, I did have a co-director on this, Steve Shimmick. We've worked on a lot of stuff together and he's really great with post-production too. So he's one of my producers and he, he did all the VFX and he got us through the finish line. So, and he has a very different perspective than me on life and religion and everything. So he, you know, he's not a believer and um, you know, he, he, he was, he was raised LDS, but he's since kind of left the faith and you know, he's, he's uh, 
he's not he's not one of these people that is embittered at all about it, but he's just, you know, it's yeah. God to him is, is, uh, you know, he, he's more belief in like science and what, you know, and, and so he, he, he will attack problems with certain ways and get, make me think about it. And, um, but he also has a background being raised in this church and he served a mission. So he's got a great, you know, like everybody's, opinion is super valid. Jake Van Wagner, who is my, you know, partner in crime on show offs. And, you know, he did, we did Saratov approach together and we've been together like his input, Garrett Batty, he's Garrett Batty who directed Saratov approach. And we've been friends since probably 2003 doing improv together. He, he's got, he really challenges me in the editing side and he's able to take things I put together and put a whole new spin on it. So Hmm. it's really, this leadership is being able to take all the great ideas of everybody else and filter it into the overall goal and the overall uh, direction that and vision that you have as a leader. And then what you get is this incredible, just pastiche, just this incredible, you know, collaboration of everybody's little bits that then that's, that's when you have something magic is when, you have the the cream of what everybody else has brought to the table and you put it there. And, and so it's, you know, that's why it's, you know, I always sit and watch all the credits cause I know in a movie, like it took every single one of those people to do yeah to make it right. You know? Yeah. So when it comes to collaboration, cause especially, um, I would imagine, and maybe I'm not thinking this through, but especially with a comedy, there's certain like beats and, Thing, things the way you know you orchestrate a certain scene so it's going to hit a certain funny point and maybe there's a disagreement on how it should be or maybe oh we should add this in that'll make it even more funny yeah. right so when you have to give that feedback of of like turning down an idea of like okay i get what you're saying but we're just not doing yeah. it like any tips on how you found uh, the most effective way to do that uh sometimes i will make it a bit of a a, a bit of like a voting system in a way where um, like, for example, with writing, if I'm writing with somebody and one of us bumps on an idea or in a thing, like we, we give, you get a chance to kind of like explain and pitch why they like it. And if it still bumps them, you know, the, the idea is you want to make sure that whatever it is, you both like more than the original. You know what I mean? You can't, we have like a rule where if, when Jake and I are writing something, for example, um, if, if he doesn't like a line or if he takes out something and I put it back in, if it comes out again, it's gone forever. And we have to find the thing that we both really like. So it's Mm -hmm. either like, it's either finding the middle that we're both equally happy with. And, um, and just kind of knowing like which, which uh, hills you're, you're willing to die on. You know, if there's certain things that are so important to you, um, for example, okay, I'll give you a, I'll give you an example. There was a joke in the movie um, and it, you know, and Phoebe says that, you know, uh, Lane, who's not a member of the church says, Oh, your temples are gorgeous. You know, we, we, uh, I must be so expensive to get married there. And Brie goes, actually, no, there's, it doesn't cost anything. She's like, really? And then Phoebe, who's the scientific <laughs> yeah. mind and the logical mind. Well, well, actually we do pay 10% of our income for our entire lives. So I wouldn't say that it's free per se, but it's think of it as a membership perk rather than an upfront cost. <laughs> and the theater that I was in, like, it was like a 
like there was a applause yeah. break yeah, we love for that. that joke, which is it's because it's so interesting. A because it, and 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 Garrett, my um, you know, who helped me edit it, he was worried about that joke. He was worried that it might feel um, insensitive to the principle of tithing and the importance of tithing. And, and, um, we talked about it and I really took it to heart because that's, that was not my intention to do that at all. Right. I, I, I have a strong testimony of, of tithing. I, you know, tithing is, I believe I'm still working today because I've been paying my tithing through the hard times. And, and, um, so I had to take that to heart and I had to think of it. And then when I, when I came down to it, I asked several other people, what do you think? You know, you get kind of like a a Rolodex of people you trust. And if several of them are saying the same thing, then I I even take it more seriously. But in the end I said, Garrett, I, I understand what you're saying, but this character, she thinks everything through logically. That's just how her brain works. And it's not, she's not being irreverent about it. She's, literally saying it, it is true, you know, and I actually, this was something I thought of on my mission. Cause I remember elders would use that as like, not, they wouldn't use it as a tactic to like say, Hey, join us. Cause it's free weddings. You know, they would just say, yeah. no, the weddings, they, people would mention how beautiful they were. And, you know, and, and, uh, you hear them say, you know, it doesn't cost anything to go in and you, you know, like get married there for free and you don't have, you know, like anyway. And I just was always thinking, well, Kind of, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Right, but, yeah. but, uh, anyway, so, uh, cool. that's one example of like a way that you, you, you just take it to heart and you think it through and you take it to a handful of people that you trust. And then, you know, in the end, I think if you are the leader, you, you do trust your own instinct. There's things where everybody has said, and this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. But if it's a, if it's a hill that I feel really strongly about and I, you know, and some of these things, some of these story points were very personal to experiences that I've had. And I'll say, I, I appreciate that. But in the end, because I am the director, I'm going to do it this way. And in that case, you have to live by what your choice is. And, you know, and maybe you were wrong and maybe you were right. But, uh, you know, at that point, you're, you know, if you've done all the homework and then I, it makes it easier to kind of live with your choice. Yeah. And and I would imagine if, I mean, if you defaulted to that, like, Hey, I'm the director of, we're just doing it my way. If you did that every time, one, yeah. it wouldn't be as good of a movie and two, nobody would want to work with you. Right. So. Uh, Absolutely. I think yeah. that sometimes, you know, you'll see directors that have a great hit or, or do great movies earlier in their career. And then later in their career, you're kind of like, wait, what? And some people, I mean, I, I won't name names, but they, it's because you get, you get surrounded by, if you get really, really successful, I'm not even near this level, but you have, yes, you're surrounded by yes. People that, you know, whatever you say, Oh yes, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So nobody's really challenging you anymore. And, um, all of a sudden you, you know, you make star Wars, the phantom menace and, and, uh, everyone's like, what happened? You know what I mean? So anyway. all right, no, we all, we all understand. Um, and any advice on like how to get there? Cause oftentimes that dynamic shows up in church leadership, but because of a different dynamic and that is authority and keys, like, Oh, the Bishop, yeah. he's got authority and keys. So he must be spouting revelation. Right. But I, yeah. I remember the Bishop, you know, being very direct, like, Hey, listen, like you need to push back on me. I may be completely up in the night now. And it sounds yeah. like you've established some, you know, these are people that you have strong relationships with. So that helps, but yeah. anything else you, you do in order to get to that place where they'll 
look you in the, in the eye and say like, this ain't going to work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's times when you, you know, and that's where I think that's where the spirit comes in too. You know what I mean? With, with, with some of these things. And honestly, like, you know, like some people could say that it's a separate thing, like the art, the artistic, like vision and whatnot, but I really think it's connected. Yeah. You know, I really think that, um, I'm not saying everything is connected to the Holy spirit, but like that intuition, even with like, even with comedy, there's a flow and there's like a, there's like a truth to things. Like people laugh when things are true. And if it passes that test, you know, um, then it just, it just can work. And sometimes, so yeah, it's, it's navigating when it's your own brain and when it's real kind of like inspiration and when it's, um, you know, collaboration. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Any other, uh, principles that, that you found helpful during your time as a leader or as a, as a director that come to the surface? Um, uh, you know, I, um, I think you have to lead with gratitude, um, especially on independent films. Uh, if you're not leading with, you know, this is not everybody's baby. This is not everybody's, you know, passion project for a lot of people. It's just a paycheck. And when it's in and when it's an independent film, it's a very small paycheck. So you have to lead with gratitude. You can't assume, um, that, that people are just going to, you know, care as much as you do. But if you lead with gratitude and you're thankful for every, you, you know, I, I don't ever expect things to be the way I want necessarily right away, unless I communicate it really well. And then I have to be very thankful and grateful for what happens. And even if people sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll, something will happen where a prop will show up on set and somebody's, I don't know this, but they've worked so hard to like get this prop. <laughs> I'll tell a quick story. Um, uh, one of our Kaylee McCormick, who, who plays Mindy in the movie, she was also working on the set as a set dresser. And in the engagement scene, um, they had put together a prop little cute little seashell like um, ring case for the ring yeah. to be in for, for the proposal. And that was an idea they had. And um, they, we were about to shoot it and they realized that they had left it in a bag on a table where we were shooting the luau scene. And they went back and the bag was gone and she found out that it was in the trash and she literally in the pouring rain was dumpster diving to try to find this little seashell. Um, and I didn't know this. I'm just, I'm going on, I'm directing, I'm, I'm doing the next bit of the scene and she's just hustling, hustling to get it. She brings it to me. Finally, I found the case because I was like, uh, where's the ring? Can we get the ring? And she brings it up. She's like, I and she has it. And I'm like, yeah, we're not going to use the case. We're just going to have him just hold the ring. Like, and so she's devastated because she's done all this work yeah. to like save this, this prop. And I didn't even want to use it. And it, it wasn't, you know, like, I mean, that's just an example. And, and so some people could be, you know, I mean, I never told them that I wanted that case. It was kind of their idea and it wasn't communicated. So I'd, I'd be some directors would be like, well, who cares? Like, this is what I wanted the whole time. Like that's on, you know, but to, to recognize some of those things where people have gone out of their way and to be thankful for it and to know like, Hey, you really care. And I really appreciate that. Thanking people at the beginning and the end of days, um, really just 
leading with gratitude because because uh, there's too many sets out there and too many leaders that that don't and the and the direct and the people don't want to work for you. Uh, when, then when it's like overtime and you got to get that one last shot, they don't want to do it and they move slower and they're not like going above and beyond to get what you need because they don't, they know you don't care. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I love that concept, especially with that story that, you know, leading out with gratitude, but oftentimes you have to be grateful for the things that you don't even realize that are going on, right? Yeah. Like you had no idea behind the scenes that the, the, the focus and the effort being put on this. And it's so easy to dismiss it. And in yeah. your perspective, in your mind, you're like, just a prop, like it's yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Right. But without that validation, that's when they start to disengage. And then you get, yeah. you know, several weeks into a project and you think like, why aren't you in this? Like, what have I done? Right. Yeah. All with the best intentions, but just sort of like, as you're getting, giving gratitude, being like, like, like inviting them to let you know, like how they're, they're buying into this project and what they're doing yeah. and how they're trying to make it better and, and realizing that that's happening. Yeah. And, and it's the little tiny things like, for example, those fish that we had, like we, we have a part in the scene, like we're, we're really building up Tice is like, he's the perfect guy. I mean, like, yeah. how could you say no to him? And the mom is kind of resisting. And he comes in from the, after spearing a two tuna, you know, in the, in the ocean for their fresh sushi dinner. And, um, they, you know, they went above and beyond to get me those fish. And, and cause it was like, you know, those are little things that like make a big difference and they're hard to get. You can't just go to a grocery store. So they're, they're going around the Island trying to find this. And then after if, if, because they know that you really care, they're coming up with ideas like, what if we, when he serves the fish, we chop the head off and have it like, just like this, there's this giant fish head. If you notice as they're, as they're having this, this discussion between the, between the two, you know, the, the, the groom's parent, the groom to be's parents and the bride to be's parents and the, the, you know, the engaged couple. And there's just this grandiose, like giant fish head and huge sushi dinner. And it's not something that you necessarily, you might've never like noticed that on a first watch, uh-uh. but it's, it's all these little details that make it feel so rich. You don't realize it's missing until you see a movie where it's like, you're like, meh. But when you see a movie that like all that attention to detail is paid, you know, and that comes from that attitude of gratitude where you, people know that you're, they're going to be recognized for the, the things they go above and beyond. And they're realizing that their, their efforts are appreciated and also you know, highlighted and used. And it's just, it's all these little kind of garnishes on this thing to make it, to make it amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about your perspective with, um, with just like working individually with actors. Right. And and we have this dynamic in church leadership where sometimes it seems like just one individual is off their game or I have to sit down in a ministering interview and, and engage this person one-on-one. Right. Um, I mean, if an actor's off their A game and, and it becomes even more um, difficult when you're an independent film, it's not like you're pulling from the the best of the best actors of Hollywood that have all this experience, right? And so sometimes it's like you have to really pull it out of them. Any advice on engaging or pulling the best out of individual actors? Yes, I actually, uh, some of the best advice and kind of some of the tools that I've used in, in my... Um, you know, over the years in leadership is, I mean, I, I, I have, I have a, um, familiar, familiarized myself with the Myers-Briggs personality type. And, um, 
there's other kind of indicator type tests that like person where you can see certain things. Um, obviously it's not a prescription of how a person is exactly, but you can kind of tell some people when they need that, like advice, some people are fine to have it in front of everybody and you can kind of make a correction in front of everybody. But some people, they'd be mortified if you say some sort of critique or some sort of, you know, just advice in front of it. You, you, you need to learn who's the personality type that you need to take them aside and say, Hey, this would be, you know, what, why don't we talk about this and who can, you know, who can take it in public, who, who, who might be motivated more to, to hear something in front of everybody, you know, like taking an introversion and extroversion and realizing like, you know, some people want, all want are, are they process things through their 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 mind more so they want the facts about the character they want um they want the details of the scene and like they want tactile things around other things only care other actors only care about you know the feeling side what goes what's processing through their heart so you know, you can kind of if you're really looking for that you i i try to like in my mind at least like understand uh, on a basic level whether you know, whether my actor, the individual actor, is it more intuitive or, or more sensory or more, you know, filtering through their, if they're gathering information through their brain or their heart. And if you can kind of pinpoint that you can, you can give direction kind of more catered to them. And I think that's really a, a huge key to being a good director and to being a good leader is you, you can't give everybody the same, advice in the same way you you have to personalize the message you have to personalize your um your motivation and um that absolutely translates over to directing those leadership skills and vice versa yeah yeah that's awesome well as we wrap up here mclean i want to make sure people are aware of like obviously you want to go see the movie and it's not because you're going to be rich and famous after all of this i mean the reality is is your next project is probably dependent on how this one does and so forth and so on and you know seeing projects like this i i want more of this type of content and so that's why i want to you know promote and encourage people to to go to the theater watch it especially this this week it comes out tomorrow right uh wednesday yeah there's Yes, tomorrow, but actually there are, I found out there's some, there's some sneak peek screenings today if you want to go and some of the actors will be, if you check our Instagram at, at, at once I was engaged or our web our website at once I was.com, um, you can, and Facebook as well at once I was engaged, uh, you can see, you know, some of the actors will be at screenings tonight, but yes, it opens, it's in theaters all over Utah right now. It'll, you know, check your local listings for the times and all that. And, and uh, it expands to Arizona, Idaho, Nevada on August 6th. And then if it keeps doing well, yeah, I mean, it it will expand more and it, it is, it is very important for us for people to check it out and go see it. And, And I'm, you know, I very, I want the film to live on its own merit I want people to, you know, go see it because it's a great movie, not because they feel obligated to support independent film. I think the onus is on us as independent filmmakers to make it good enough to compete with everything else. So, but I think this movie does pass that. And I, I, um, it, it is very, it is, it is very important for if you did like it to share about it and tell people and, you know, um, yeah. Spread and the I think word. there's, 
there's some opportunity for like wards, even outside of Utah, maybe you're in Alabama somewhere, then obviously it's not maybe going to pop up in just a random theater, but to be proactive. And, um, you know, I know that like, is it uh Cinemark or other theaters are, are doing some creative things where you can call them and say, Hey, I want to run out your theater for my ward and watch this, this film. Can you get it there? And, and isn't there a way that they can make that happen or at least? Oh, absolutely. We have a, I mean, for example, when we have businesses too, like where there's an endodontic group in Austin to outside of Austin, Texas. And every year since the Saratov approach, they, they, when we have a movie, they will, they'll buy out a screening and they'll, we'll send them marketing materials. Come see once I was engaged sponsored by, you know, DMD orthodontics or, you know what I mean? And, and they will, they will, they'll use it as a recruiting tool. They'll send it out to their clients. They'll send it out to under other dentists to get, you know, the, um, the referrals for their, you know, endodontics. And anyway, so it, it really helps them, but it helps us because they're buying out a whole, whole screen. You sometimes they'll book this theater for that whole week because of that one screening and the other people will get a chance to. So if you have a business that has any type of client or patient, um, interface it's a really good way to say hey come see come see a family-friendly movie on us it's gonna be a ton of fun it's like the mother it's like father of the bride meets my big fat greek wedding i mean it kind of sells itself as far as you know the you know the the appeal that it has to a wide audience yeah for sure. Well, uh, McLean, I, I wish you luck in this, in these efforts. And, uh, I look forward to once I was a relief society president or whatever the next one's going to be, that's my vote. So anyways, uh, I love it. You know, we, we, we could, this, this universe can kind of expand and it can grow. And as long as people are liking it and liking the characters, I mean, we, you know, these, there's a reason why TV series and, you know, Marvel series and different, you know, yeah. Different people want to see the characters in different situations. They want to introduce. I mean, people are loving Tanner Gilman who plays the fiance. They're loving Bart Johnson who plays Kurt Carrington. Uh, and he's from like, you know, high school, he played coach Bolton on high school musical and he's got oh, yeah. a good following. So yeah. So definitely okay. follow us on, on our, on our social media at once I was engaged uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and yeah, if you have any questions, go to the website. If you want to book one of those special screenings, uh, once I was engaged.com, you can reach out to us and, yeah. and or you can like message that. us on, on Facebook or Instagram and we will, we will respond and bring it to wherever there's demand. Cool. Seems like a fun word activity. So yeah, might make a phone call and, and see what it'll take for a theater to make that happen. Yeah. So, also, uh, I think it's a yeah. really great, like I, it is a great missionary tool as well because it's, it's, or at least a fellowshipping tool. It's like, it's yeah. something you can connect with a neighbor on and they will laugh and enjoy it. They won't feel any pressure of like, Oh, are they, is this trying to be like a, you know, it's just, it's just a good friendship being fellowshipping tool. So, um, you know, yeah. Good way to introduce somebody to our faith community. You know, it's just exactly. a fun way. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. All right. McLean, I don't know if this question is going to land, but let's try it. Uh, as you right. have gone through this, these different projects and being a director, being a leader, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Gosh. Oh, that's a good question. Um, being a leader has helped me be, be a better follower just because I, you kind of in a small way, you learn 
when you're leading, you learn what it's like to be in the role of, of, um, that, that Bishop, you know what it's like to be what, where, where, you know, if you've led before you, you, you know how hard of a role that is. So when you're, when you're the, the member of the congregation, it's easier for you to say yes to whatever the Bishop's asking or to, you know, whatever service project or the elder elders quorum is asking, or, you know, it's easier to follow the prophet's advice when you know how hard it is to, you know, get a group of people to, to lead and, and go a certain way. So, you feel that empathy for somebody um, in those shoes. So when you're in the follower position, you, you want, you want to take uh, certain steps to lighten the load of whoever's leading you. And you want to do those things that help bear that burden. And um, you know, it's a way to be, it's a way to be more Christ-like, you know, he is the ultimate leader and he has, you know, had juggled so many things throughout his you know, ministry and life and continued, you know, um, uh, you know, job as, as deity. And, and, um, so you want to make that load a little lighter by being, by being a little better and by being kinder and being more loving to others and, and, uh, you know, just following the simple things that, that he taught to be better people and to serve others and to love one another. Hello, everyone. This is Kurt Franken with Leading Saints, and we're back for another How I Lead interview. And today I am sitting down through the powers of the Internet with Ken Craig. How are you, Ken? I'm good. How are you doing, Kurt? Good. Now, uh, you've served as bishop in multiple capacities, uh, actually, <laughs> one in real life where yeah. you uh, were in a traditional ward and they called you and another one where you actually uh, you actually went and auditioned to become the bishop. Maybe put some context behind that. Yeah. So yeah. Which, which one would you like context? For the, the, uh, the auditioning part. The auditioning. <laughs> so yes. Uh, for those familiar with once I was a beehive and the uh, sequel that has just come out this week, in fact, uh, today in Utah, uh, once I was engaged, I, I played the Bishop in both movies and, um, that came about just from a, a long, a longstanding friendship that I had with several people involved, uh, in the movie. And uh, a good friend of mine, Lisa Clark, she plays Carrie Carrington uh, in both movies. And she's marvelous. She's wonderful at it. Uh, but we knew each other in college. Uh, her and her husband, Chris, and me and my wife, Katie, were very close friends then. So I knew that uh, when, when uh, once I was a beehive was coming about and uh, she had shared with me that they had a script and then kind of, you know, when it was starting to take form. And then she called me one day at work and said, hey, uh, Hey, we need a Bishop Rudd. Uh, you come audition to be the Bishop. And, um, and I've done, I've done a little bit of acting since college, Kurt, but I honestly, uh, my, my range is I can play Ken Craig and people kind of like Ken Craig. That's about, that's about the extent of my range. Yeah. So I just said, Lisa, do I have to, do I have to cry on command? And <clears throat> she said, no, I don't think so. I said, okay, I'll come audition. So, <laughs> so I auditioned awesome. in her living room in front of McLean, the uh, writer, director, McLean Nelson, and, uh, yeah, he was very generous. So, uh, he had me do, uh, some lines and then I left and according to Lisa, he turned to her right away and said, well, should we just call him right now and say he's in? And she's like, no, let's, let's let him sweat a little bit. So she called me the next day at work and said, Hey, we would love to have you come be the Bishop in this movie. And it was, it was such a privilege, uh, a great, great collaboration. Great. I was always really proud of that movie as I am with this one. Yeah. And, uh, so 
Well, they should have minor, but I'm honored to be part of it. Such a great, yeah. they should have called your stake president and had him call you in. And that would have been, been (laughs) (laughs) nice. And and you're, so it does, it's not like you have this pursuit of an acting career on the side or anything. It's just the, through your network and people, you know, and, uh, you got involved there. Correct. Yeah. My, uh, my wife and I actually met in college at BYU doing improv and sketch comedy and, and made a lot of friends that way. So there's kind of a network of, of all of us. And then when, but we, after college, we moved to Las Vegas. Um, I had a job that took us there. So we were there for about 14 years. And then we moved, when we moved back here to Utah, we still had so many friends kind of in that industry and they would call, Hey, come, can you come do this commercial? Hey, can you come audition for this? And so, yeah, we've kind of always kept our, our fingers in it, but it is, yeah, it's never been a full-time, uh, full-time pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, um, just, uh, I'll fire some different questions at you just to sure. put you into context. What do you do for work? So my day job is I work uh, for the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the philanthropies department. Oh, nice. So yeah, I do the fundraising for, um, all the church universities, the scholarships at all the church universities, uh, as well as uh, the church priorities like humanitarian aid, general missionary fund, family search, things like that, church history. So each year we kind of get our marching orders from the uh, office of the presiding bishopric and they'll say, here's what we're fundraising for. And I love it. I've done it for about five years. My oh, cool. previous life was advertising. I love, I love that, but this has been really, really rewarding. So, yeah. And uh, did you serve a mission? I did. I served in uh, Portugal, Lisbon, North Portugal. Oh, cool. My sister was in the Porto mission. So we have an appreciation for Portugal for sure. So she's made many Portuguese dishes that I appreciate. So that's awesome. (laughs) And uh, where are you living now? We are in Provo now. Uh, When we moved back here from Las Vegas, we landed in Provo and uh, very familiar to us from when we were in college. We love it here. And uh, yeah, so just north of the stadium right here in Provo. Nice. nice. Now, none of your scenes in the movie happened in Hawaii, but did you try to orchestrate maybe a, a scene or two to happen in Hawaii or to get you there or? <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I actually, I actually uh, lived in Hawaii. I graduated high school in Hawaii. Oh, wow. And, um, and so, and in my job now I've done fundraising for BYU Hawaii. So I've, I've gotten to go there and I do, I love it. Part of my heart is always, So yeah, I did. When I heard they were filming at BYU Hawaii, I was super excited and seemed rude that the Bishop didn't get to go, but you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, was there, uh, any, I mean, uh, unique experience or story that came from, you know, being, it was at, uh, Bishop, Bishop Red. Is that yeah, Bishop Red. Yeah. (laughs) Or was it just, uh, you just pretended like you were Bishop Craig again and (laughs) a little bit. It was, uh, Uh, yeah, it wasn't a big stretch. I think I think uh, a unique thing that comes with the mantle of being uh, a bishop is that just this inherent love that you have for the ward members. And I certainly felt that on the set uh, with these uh, with these, I guess, young adults and teenagers that were playing the young women as well as the leaders, but just everyone involved. There was such a a, a wonderful spirit, uh, not only of collaboration, but just a wonderful spirit of Christ where everybody was, um, it felt very united in this project. You know, it was, it's an independent movie. So a lot of, a lot of heart, a lot of, uh, sacrifices are made to get it, to get it done. And so, uh, yeah, I just felt a lot of love for the people on the, cool. on the set. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah. And you know, you guys, you have so many cool side projects here that I need to make sure we shout them out uh, each individually, but you and Sean Rapier, who's a close friend of mine, fellow podcaster, he does the Latter-day Lives podcast, but he also has a great podcast called Sharing Time and yeah. you're often his co-host on that. Maybe uh, tell us what that podcast is about. So Sharing Time is a, uh, it's a really just kind of off the cuff um conversation uh sean and sean will call me up and say hey can you come over next week uh, it's, it's about that you know that kind of impromptu and then we just get together and we'll have a couple of themes in mind you know and it always has kind of a, a flavor of being members of the church i mean we might talk about family vacations we also might talk about um callings or youth camps or things like that but always with uh, always with that theme of uh, or kind of looking through the lens of being members of the church. And so it's and we'll do it Facebook Live so we can interact with our audience. They can throw out questions or comments, their own experiences. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Sean, I've, I've known for years. It's very easy to sit and get lost in conversation with Sean. Yeah. As you know. And uh, so, yeah, it's sort of just an impromptu, very casual, informal conversations about that kind of revolve around church culture more than the doctrine or, or principles. It's kind of just around the fun church culture. Yeah. And then you've also done some, uh, some, some writing and you've uh, written a, a self-published a book that where did the, where did that start? Where did that come from? So <laughs> that uh, that's a great question. It, it actually started over a decade ago, you know, when blogs started to become a thing, uh, a good friend of mine, in fact, Lisa Clark's husband, Chris Clark, um, there was a group of us that were all friends from college. We kind of were on a Yahoo group. That's how old, that's how long ago this, <laughs> this took place. And he said, Hey, we should, you know, these blogs are a new thing and we should all keep, you know, write blogs and we can, that's why we can keep sharing stories with each other. Like we did in college, even though we're kind of spreading out. So we did. And I always wrote mine kind of, uh, almost like a, just like a personal essay a, a personal life experience, sometimes from my past, sometimes something current that was going on, usually about my family. Um, and then over time, I just, I had a collection of many, many essays and I thought I would really love to, I don't know, pass these on to family or, and so I just looked at self and during that time, self-publishing became a, a thing, you know, very, very easy to, to self-publish now. And so I, um, sort of went through and picked the essays I thought fit in this theme of family or faith. And, um, maybe I should be embarrassed, but I'm not, I often write about food. <laughs> it's uh, amusing to me. And, you're a foodie. Uh, Ken? Uh, Is that what you're saying? Yeah, a little bit. So, um, yeah, so I just found enough of them that I thought it was critical mass to fit into a book. So, uh, yeah, I published it on, uh, self-published it on, on Amazon and, um, it's, done really well considering I didn't do any marketing or anything. I just kind of shared it with friends and I'll share it on podcasts with, uh, you know, with Sean or, or here with you, Kurt. And yeah, uh, it's been wonderful just to share it. I'm certainly not going to um, retire from, from, from uh, philanthropies, but it's been, <laughs> I, it was something I was excited to share and I'm, I'm grateful people are interested in hearing about it. So it's uh, yeah, it's on Amazon. You can uh, search faith, fatherhood and food, um, a decade of personal essays and nice. Uh, Please enjoy it. Yeah, and I imagine. I mean, you make them pretty fun, right? And, and lighthearted or humorous. Yes, much of it is lighthearted. Yeah, yeah. Cool, awesome. Um, well, let's uh, pivot into the uh, the time you were a bishop that you didn't audition for. Uh, at least I, <laughs> I imagine you didn't. I was not auditioning. Yeah. <laughs> but is there a story behind the time you were when you were called as, as bishop? 
I mean, yeah, it's a story to me. I don't know if, how fascinating it will be to everybody else, but I'd, I'd served as a counselor uh, for about two years um, to a man, uh, Tracy Truman. He is a, a, one of the true mentors in my life. He's just kind of a larger than life man in stature, sort of a Jeremiah Johnson kind of a guy. I mean, at least that's who he idolized. And I thought, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Um, big, big hunter, big, uh, big person, big, uh, uh, not big person, like in, but yeah, he was taller than me. He was broad, just a larger than life kind of guy. Um, and I learned a lot from him about serving, about leadership, about, um, service in the church. So yeah, I was a counselor to him for a couple of years. And then, um, I got a call one night, I was 36 years old. I got a call one night. They asked me to come down to the church. My wife was already down there for a meeting. And so they didn't say, bring your wife. They just said, Oh, can you meet with uh, a member of the stake presidency? So I thought, Oh, I'm getting released. I mean, this Bishop's been in almost six years. Uh, it's about that time. I, so I, when I did have a couple of impressions before that about this could be a possibility. This could be an opportunity coming. But when I got that call to come down, I just thought, no, nah, I'm just getting released. So I went down there, was sitting outside the stake office. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I saw the stake presidency walk down the hall. So I stood up to follow them in. And then I saw my wife with them. Like they had gotten her out of her meeting. She was with them. And I just, I was just this wave of nausea. I was like, Oh no, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I know what's happening. And so, um, yeah, we went into the room and they extended the calling and it was very emotional. Like I think I mentioned to you, I felt very underqualified. Um, I felt very underqualified, but I, I knew that I loved the members of that ward so much. And I knew I loved the Lord. And I thought if I can just, <laughs> if I can just let love conquer this, this queasiness, then I think things will be okay. And, um, and I, it was a tremendous experience. I was in for about five and a half years and it was, uh, some of the best people I'll ever know. We're yeah. in that, we're in that ward. I just love them. And where, where was this ward located? This was in Las Vegas. It was, uh, kind of on the North end of, uh, Northwest end of Las Vegas. Um, it's funny Las Vegas has a tremendous amount of saints. I mean, there's, yeah. I think over 30 stakes there now. And uh, so we would, my wife and I always joked about, it was basically Southern Utah. It was just kind of extended into Las Vegas. Yeah. And um, anyway, yeah, so I, I love the members of that ward. And uh, during that five years, we had two more children. So I started with five. We had seven by the time I was released. It was a busy time of, of life yet somehow everything nothing came unraveled. <laughs> we were able to just, to, to live. I think that was one of the miracles. One of the great blessings was that nothing felt uh, like it was uh, too much. Yeah. So. Yeah. So as we do in these, how you lead interviews, I asked you to think about a few leadership principles that maybe uh, served you well during your time as a leader, as a, as a Bishop. Um, so we'll go through these. The first one is, is leading with love. And you sort of alluded this a little bit, and I want to push you a little bit further on this as far as, because I mean, I think we all want to lead with love and and love those that we lead. But like, what did that look like in practice? Or are there any examples? Or maybe it was just that moment of like, I can I can at least hold on to love and and serve. I don't know how to do anything else, but maybe I can just start there. Yeah, I think I think it, I think we should start there. Yeah, regardless of our qualifications or our confidence in what we're doing, right? Um, yeah, I think I think it comes with a mantle. 
but I, I felt that, um, I felt a gift of discernment, uh, in that calling where I could discern the best in people. And I think if we can discern the best, we assume the best about people, we give them the benefit of the doubt. I think compassion comes from that. And we are able to, to focus on the best in, in each other. And I think we all want to be surrounded by people who, who give us that, that kind of compassion, who assume the best and are, they're quick to forgive, uh, and quick to see and celebrate, uh, the best in each of us. And, and we're all flawed. We all are going to make mistakes. We're all, um, have our weaknesses, but I think when we lead with that, when I see love manifested in that way, I think it creates a wonderful Christ-like culture and, um, and we're able to work together, serve together, love each other, um, much more effectively. That yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that, that, you know, just seeing the, the best in people, cause in administrative heavy roles, you know, whether you're running a, a marketing office or, you know, getting, trying to get people to do things at work or serving at church, there's sort of this default position of, you know, pushing, you know, trying to motivate people. And sometimes we come across that we're not perceiving the best in them, but you know, that's yeah. a great starting point, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. We always are looking at those key point indicators, right. Yeah. But behind them are individuals. And so um, I think, I think that's a, a wonderful yeah. focus is on the individual. On Next principle is empowering others. And this is uh, always a tricky thing to do. How'd you go about empowering others that you served with? So that, yeah, that one stuck out to me, I think because I felt that from my own stake president who called me to very, very, he'd been in as a stake president for a long time at that point. In fact, he was released a year and a half later after I was called Uh savvy businessman, just kind of carried a lot of, a lot of confidence and a lot of, uh, capability. And, and, uh, and, uh, he treated me that way. I think I, I had, I met with someone right after I got my, uh, right after I was called as Bishop who had a lot of, um, uh, a lot of things he had to work through in the repentance process. And some of them were legal issues. And, um, I just, you know, I was listening to him and I thought, I don't, I don't even know what to do with all of this. So I was meeting with the stake president soon for a, a personal interview. And I brought it up to him, like all of these things, almost like here, you fix this, you know? And he just, he just goes, wow, I don't even, I haven't heard of, well, what are you going to do about that? And he just kind of handed it back to me. And, uh, and rather than feeling fearful about it, I actually felt empowered. I felt like I trust you. The Lord trusts you. This is yeah. why you're in this position. You can figure this out. And, uh, you know, he, he was certainly there to, for me to share ideas with and, and to get confirmations from, but, um, but I think I, I felt his trust. And in that moment, I didn't realize how much that would mean everything to me. And so, um, I, I wanted to lead that way. And so, uh, and I did, I had wonderful board council, wonderful leaders that, um, I, I certainly wanted to collaborate and, and, uh, and counsel with them, but I had experiences where I just felt the Lord's trust in them. I wanted them to feel it. Um, I think I'd mentioned to you, I think a lot of times we are serving with people because it's a, a lay ministry that, that are certainly have, they have greater talents than we do. They're, they're more, maybe perhaps more qualified, but for whatever reason, it's our turn to serve in that calling. And, um, 
why why would we be a ball hog? I don't think that's how you lead. <laughs> um, yeah. Everybody has everybody in every organization from uh, relief society and young women's to Sunday school to to your counselors to um, everybody has authority. They've received authority for that calling uh, to receive revelation in that calling. And, um, and that's for their own benefit as well as yours as a bishop or a stake president. It's, I can remember when, uh, uh, you know, you're asking for a specific example. I can remember a, a sister that her family had sort of unraveled her, her husband had left her and um, had left the church and he disappeared. And I kept, and she was kind of guarded and, and as you would imagine, and kind of private about everything. And I felt this weight of what can I do for her? How can I, how, what can I do? And, um, and then one time in a meeting, it came to me, you need to, you need to ask the Relief Society president hmm. for, for revelation on this. She will know what to do for this sister. And so I kind of pulled her aside after, and I said, what, uh, I need, I need to hand this over to you. Can you tell me what to do for this sister? And she was, you know, it wasn't like she had that in the moment, but she came back to me and she just said, she needs to spend time in the temple. And as soon as she said it, it, boy, I just felt it in my whole soul. Like, yes, that, that will be a blessing to her. That will help stabilize. That will help give clarity. She needs to spend time in the temple. And, um, I just remember that feeling of turn this over to the Relief Society president. She came back with it. I knew that's what it was. And I was grateful for that experience. It just strengthened my, my own resolve and my own conviction that, uh, I think it, I think it's president Oaks that has said there is revelation peppered among us or spread among us. And so, um, I, I think when we can all contribute, then we, we're doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that principle that when you empower others, oftentimes that revelation or that inspiration comes to the surface. I mean, sometimes we maybe simplify these experiences too often that like, Oh, I'm the Bishop. I just sit in my office and, you know, revelation it's just trickles trip. down into yeah. my mind. Right. And, yeah. and it's sometimes sure those experiences come, but often it's like reaching out to others and saying, you, you run with the ball for a bit and uh, see what happens. And then they take it in a direction like, Oh, I would have never done that. And look how well it worked out. Right. And so yeah. there's yeah. power in that. Um, the other thing I wanted to underscore is this, this, you know, how your stake president modeled that. Um, cause we often think as leaders, like, well, of course the people, you know, I serve or the people I leave, of course they know I trust them and, and I want them to feel empowered, but oftentimes that's not the default position for people. You know, they, <laughs> they sort of need that, um, assurance of like, well, what are you going to do? Like, I trust you. So what decision have you made? Right. And like, this is sort of your role. And then that, that person feels empowered. Like, Oh, he actually has an expectation that I am going to do something with it. So I can step into that role with more confidence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Third principle is, uh, the concept of one by one leadership and, uh, elder Bednar wrote a phenomenal book one by one. Uh, it's, and it's a, it's a quick read, definitely right. recommended for any leader. Um, really some strong principles. So how did you, uh, display one by one leadership? I think if I, I think one of the most powerful things we can do as leaders is, is meeting face to face with people one, one by one. I really think that's where the magic is. Um, and I feel that, 
I, I mentioned it to you. I think it can feel overwhelming to feel like, oh, there's 700 people in my ward um, yeah. or more. And, uh, or, you know, if you're a mission president, you've got all these missionaries and it can feel overwhelming to think of uh, when you try to quantify it like that. But when you're meeting, I, I just think change, um, strength, uh, conversion, all of this is, it happens individually. And, um, and so it's almost a grassroots effort. You can't, you can't, I bet no one remembers a sacrament meeting talk I gave, <laughs> but I hope they remember how they felt when they sat with their Bishop in their home or in the Bishop's office. And they felt how much father loved them and they felt how much the savior was aware of them and they felt how much their bishop cared about them and that that inspired comfort or reassurance or um uh, or change or so whatever was needed um I, just like just like the atonement is universal and, and infinite but uh, but personally and individually applied um so is our ministry um uh, even in Elder Bednar's book, he refers to congregations as gatherings of ones. Yeah, and, and I and I think when we are seeking to minister to a one, to an individual, I think that must be one of Heavenly Father's favorite way, favorite prayers to answer. <laughs> yeah, I oh, you want to love one of my children? You want to help one of my children? Here's how. More than when I'm asking for, you know, my own blessings. <laughs> I, I think we receive clarity and impressions and direction quicker when it's for the benefit of, of somebody else. And so, um, yeah, I think when I look back at being a bishop, what I remember is the one-on-one -on -one moments, whether it was at a youth conference or hiking in the mountains or sitting in the bishop's office with someone or um, ministering to someone sick in their home or in the hospital. It's, it's with these individuals. And, and I, I, I know I felt love for the ward collectively, but, um, but people's faces come to me. It's the, it's the individuals. And I think yeah. that's how the savior ministered. And so, yeah, I love that. And especially when it comes to like influence and leadership, like you said, there's, there's so many people in the ward. Like I can't go one by one every day and talk to them every, you know, every hour or whatever. And so sometimes when we try and create influence as a leader, we default to these ideas of like um, bishop challenges or state themes or whatever. And I've sort of been a little critical of these. And again, it's not that it's a bad thing to do. Uh, I mean, you know, sometimes it's fun to get the youth together and say, Hey, we're going to read the book of Mormon in three months. Right. But sometimes we try and manufacture influence through these bishop challenges. Like I'm going to give this general plan to the ward. They'll do it. They'll be converted and we'll all go home happy. But um <clears throat> But oftentimes it's the, it's, it's the one by one where the true influence happens. Yeah. Like That's we can't outsource it to these general challenges and, and then magically they'll love me as the Bishop and they'll want to come to church and they'll want to progress in their ordinances or whatever. But it's really yeah. like having this habit of like, how can I reach people one to one, even if I can't reach them all, yeah. um, you know, what can I do to one that I wish I could do to many. And that is where some remarkable, uh, change happens. And I love the stories that elder Bednar shares in that. Like there's one where he's at like the, uh, hardware store and he runs into a guy, uh, you know, that obviously recognizes him as elder Bednar and they have this great interaction. He's yeah. like, that's the reason I came to the hardware store today. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I am with you 100% on that, Kurt. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of times you're going to prepare this perfect talk and then you're going to get up there and look out and the person that you wanted to hear it is <laughs> <laughs> um, true? You know, uh, it's just, it's harder to, I think we think in, impactful is kind of trying to get that message out in, in quantity, um, right? Even using social media, we feel like, well, I'm going to let everybody know about this this way. But um, the secret sauce is in that that one on one when it's face to face or you know on the phone or whatever. But it's it's when you can meet individually. Those are the those are the moments that that leave that deep impact on your soul. So. Yeah, awesome. Well, again, this has been fantastic. I have what I guess a couple more questions, uh, but the uh, one more question in regards to once I was engaged. We're yeah. recording this on July 21st. And it is hitting theaters today. And yeah. I'm just like, I just want to be such a proponent for projects like this because nowadays there's not a, a long list of movies that every Latter-day Saint feels comfortable going with. And this is a great movie. It's hilarious. Uh, the, especially in the leadership context, the, uh, uh, the mission, former mission president character just cracks me up, you know, the way. <laughs> so, uh, there's some great cameos in it. And, uh, of course, can you are, uh, just, <laughs> you just take this, take this movie home. So, uh, it's awesome. But any, what final encouragement would you get to, to people to go out and, and check it out? Why should they go see Once I Was Engaged? If you if you liked uh, Once I uh, kind of if you've grown up with uh, Once I Was a Beehive, right? This came out um, almost six years ago. I think it was six years ago this summer. And so these characters are grown. And the movie, it's not six years later. It's I think it's like two or three years later. Yeah. But to see these characters, kind of their development, especially some of the, the main uh, characters, there's a, there's a more complexity to them. I found, I don't know if you saw that curve, yeah. but I felt like, uh, you know, um, those, those critical, that decade of decisions where a lot of big things are happening between college and missions and, and courtship and marriage. And, and, uh, and you feel that it's still very fun and very lighthearted, but, but, uh, you feel the, um, the weight and the complexity of some of those, decisions. And I thought it was just, I thought, um, McLean and, and Lisa and Haley, all those that worked on it really captured that wonderfully. Uh, they care about these characters. I think that comes through. They care about these experiences that people have and they want to, they want to speak to it so that when you see it, you go, Oh, I, I dated someone like that. Or I remember feeling like that before a mission or I, you know, that was my mission president or whatever. It's, it's very universal. Um, so I think there is something in it that everyone can relate to. Um, and I think there's, uh, I think it's just really a wonderful message for, um, for youth, for young adults, uh, for all of us. So I think, pl and please do go support it. These are, these are independent films that, that only succeed and thrive because people come out to see it. So especially outside of Utah, it, it plays so limited, but if there's a big demand that weekend, when it comes out, then theaters will keep it around. And so, um, yeah, please, uh, please enjoy it in the theater and uh, beautiful shots of Hawaii that you want to see on the big screen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, definitely. And then it's this week, like these, these opening weeks are so crucial for these independent projects as far as distribution and whether yeah. they're able to do additional movie. And I, and I want a, a third movie. This needs to be a trilogy. And Ken, all I ask is that, you you ask them if I can be your executive secretary in the, in the movie. I'll just sit in the background, you know. Maybe I'll just like take notes or something, whatever. 
but that's my, uh, they don't even have to pay me. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's all I, I will message them immediately. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. Again, the last question I have for you is as you reflect on your, uh, your real lifetime as a bishop, be, being a leader in that capacity, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? We kind of touched on it earlier, but I felt like, uh, I felt like what came with that calling was being able to see um, father's children the way he sees them. And so uh, that was, that changed me, Kurt. It changed me during that time to, um, to feel like I looked around at, at uh, my brothers and sisters and, and felt like I saw the best in them and to feel like I saw them the way that Heavenly Father and the Savior see them. Um, I think love does inspire us. Uh, and that doctrine of being spirit children of, of our Heavenly Father um, will change us more than any focus on behavior will change us. And so that, that certainly um, strengthened and affected my discipleship in a way I, I couldn't have anticipated. But um, I guess seeing the divinity in us, knowing that we are, that we are literal children of heavenly parents um, has changed my discipleship and it's changed the way that I will always try to lead, whether it's in my home or in a calling. concludes my interview with McLean Nelson and Ken Craig. I hope you enjoyed their perspective on leadership and I'd love to get your feedback. Did this type of episode work? You know, we want to help and promote uh, positive, awesome content that's being put out there, even in, in movie form or podcast form or website form. Uh, but I'd love to hear feedback to see if this worked. It was interesting to maybe hear these leadership principles from that perspective of a director and also as a, a bishop. And so uh, go, give us your feedback at leadingsaints.org slash contact and uh, go check out the movie. It's really good. It's hilarious. And I think you'd really appreciate it. And hopefully it means that uh, we can get more positive, awesome, funny content like this in the future. And I remind you once again to text the word lead to 474747 in order to subscribe to the Leading Saints weekly newsletter. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.